Find out today what it takes to sell your Amazon business for a big payday by someone who has recently done it herself and a previous Serious Sellers podcast guest who is in process of doing it right now. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon world. And we've got two serious sellers on the line with me today, Paul and Kellyanne. How's it going, guys? Doing great, Bradley. Great, Bradley. Good to be back with you. Yes, indeed. We're going to be listening at the first part of this episode a little bit more to Kellyanne because actually, Paul, we got his, a lot of his great backstory on a previous episode of the uh, podcast. So, guys, make sure it was actually one of our, our first milestone podcasts. I specifically picked Paul to be on episode 50. So, so Paul, you're, you're, you're in a kind of rarefied air because you were the first kind of like big even number. I was like, OK, we got to have a special guest. It's going to be Paul for episode 50. Manny. Coates was going to be episode 100 and then episode 200, which is coming soon. It's actually something special. I was just telling you guys off the air is going to be an episode that I filmed from the Maldives. But anyways, Paul, you're, you're in rarefied air here, but we, <laughs> we saved that for our important guest. I'm honored, Bradley, and, and just really happy to be back on. Thanks so much. Thank you for coming back. So guys, if you want to hear uh, more about Paul, sorry, we're going to catch up with him uh, in this episode as well, but it's really great info that he had in episode 50. So make sure to go back on whatever platform you're listening on. But, but Kellyanne, this is the first time that you've come on the show. So what I always like to do is first of all, just to kind of like chronicle your, 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 you know, in just a couple of minutes, your journey to where you are now, but taking it back, you know, farther than, than other podcasts may go. So I know you're in Southern California now, like uh, around Redondo Beach. Is that where you were born and raised? No, um, we've lived here for about six years. I was born in New Jersey and spent my early childhood there. And then we migrated to Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area uh, when I was uh, a teenager. And I spent my college years and law school years in Sacramento and then other areas in the Bay Area, and then Southern California is now home, and I think it will be um, at least for the foreseeable future until my kids graduate from high school. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, now going back to when you were growing up in in Jersey, I guess it were uh, was. What did you? I mean, obviously, you didn't envision yourself becoming an Amazon seller. That, that uh, you <laughs> did know, not exist FBA. back then. I'm old enough to say that there was no inter <laughs> no such thing as the internet back then. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I didn't go that far. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, what what did you envision yourself being when you grew up? Oh, my gosh. You know, I really didn't have the, the biggest, biggest thing that I thought that would be glamorous to do when I was younger was to be a flight attendant. And so that was probably okay. my big goal when I was like a child. And then once I got into my teenage years, I knew I wanted to do something in international business. I never realized that it would actually take the form of mm -hmm. becoming an e-commerce seller and sourcing products and traveling to China, uh, but it did. And um, but in between there, well, what, what did you go to university for then, or college? I should say. Sometimes you see, I get so many uh, foreign people uh, uh, from Europe on here, and they all they all refer to it as university. So I keep yes. saying, I'm like, no, we, we, we this is America. We call it college. So what do you? What was your major in college? My major was actually international business, and I minored in economics and in Spanish, and thought that I was going to be this high powered international businesswoman. But it was pretty early on in college that 
I decided I wanted to go on uh, for an advanced degree and decided I wanted to go to law school. So that was kind of my mm. plan after that. Was this here in California? Yeah. I went to law school in Sacramento to a private university called McGeorge School of Law, part of University of the Pacific. And then I practiced all of my legal career in Sacramento at one of the biggest um, civil lit firms in Sacramento. Oh, wow. See, th this is uh, stuff that I, I didn't know about. I always like trying to uh, find, I mean, even though I've known you for a while, I didn't know about these uh, these details. So that's pretty cool. So then what was your first kind of entry into the e-commerce ecosystem? It wasn't until several, several years later after I got married and had kids and decided that I didn't want to be uh, practicing law anymore and wanted to do something different that I wanted to have some type of a way to make a living working from my laptop. <laughs> That's all I knew at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, started down all of those rabbit trails, like how to make money online, how to work from home, blah, blah, blah. blah. And of course, you know, you, you go into all these different things. And I tried a lot of things, but luckily kind of stumbled into e-commerce pretty early on and started with drop shipping. And that's how I got my kind of first taste of selling physical products online. Around what year are we talking about here? That was around 2013. Okay. So drop shipping, you would, what platform were you selling on? I was selling primarily on eBay, but then eventually I was actually drop shipping from other online retailers and I was selling it on Amazon. And I think it was actually against the rules to, to do that, but I was doing it and my seller account was hanging on by a thread, but I was somehow getting away with it. And that's when I realized, you know, this is, this is just a job I've created for myself. I was making good money, but I decided I really need to control the process here. I need to have my own products. I need to create them. And just so happened that I got an email in my inbox from something called Amazing Selling Machine. And it was all about building your own physical products brand and selling on the Amazon channel. And I was like, well, this sounds exactly what I've been looking for. And I uh, joined and uh, didn't look back. Okay. So now when you when you were started doing the drop shipping, were you still practicing law or or was this now... You had already quit doing that full time by that. I had I had left my legal career when my kids okay. were little because I just didn't 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 believe in it anymore. I was just yeah. I, it was just too hard. It was too hard being a mom and being a litigator. And you know, I've shared the story on other podcasts. It just I didn't feel like I was being the mom that I knew I wanted to be. You you got into private label. What was your very first product? My very first product was an infusion water bottle, and it turned out to be uh, my best seller. This was like what, 2014, 2014 15, 16? When I launched the product, yeah. And, okay. Mm -hmm. And it was just that one product for the first year, or did you launch a variety of different ones? Yes, I just, I was able to hit seven figures really early on with just that one product with a few color variations, and I didn't start expanding the product line until, um, 2015. So, um, that's really when I started to focus on building a real brand, not just a, a product and started to think about, okay, what other types? Well, first of all, who, who am I serving? What, what is the customer that I'm looking to help with my products and what can my brand solve for them? And so I started to launch other products that I thought would uh, meet that avatar and a lot of them failed, but I had a lot of winners too. So it was a great learning experience. So then, I mean, we, uh, I was just on your podcast, the amazing exit podcast, and we're going to be talking about that, you know, building up, uh, you know, with both of you today about building up your Amazon brands, you know, with, with the idea of, you know, maybe an exit in the future. Now you've accomplished that, but 
like, when did you decide in, in your journey? I mean, you, you were selling on Amazon for like four or five years. At what point was it like, hey, that's my goal is to possibly, you know, sell this business or, or was that, was that the goal from the day one or, or, you know, like in the middle of your journey, you're like, Hey, this could be a possibility. That's a great question. I think back in the early days of selling on Amazon, you know, 2013, 2014, I don't think there was even a market to sell an Amazon business there. It just didn't even exist. So I certainly didn't start the business thinking that I was going to sell it. But a few years into the business, as I started to mature and realize what my special sauce and talents were and what it would take to grow the brand off of Amazon, I realized, you know, I've built something pretty special here. And, uh, you know, I've heard that there's a market for these types of businesses. And so I started doing some digging. And although there wasn't a lot of information out there, I knew then that I wanted to reposition what I was doing and focus on building my business to sell it. And so I spent a solid year of really optimizing everything about my business, increasing the profitability and making it as attractive as possible to a potential buyer before I actually went to market with it in 2019. Okay. All right. We're going to come back to you, but now, you know, Paul might have fallen asleep uh, over there. Or, or <laughs> He's feeling, heard this story a couple times. He, he probably has. Yeah. I, I had to mute the, I had to mute him uh, over, over there, but uh, still here. Paul, wake still up here. and uh, all right, good, good, good. Now, now, Paul, you know, we, we talked about how in episode 50, you know, uh, we, we went over your story and one of the main, you know, takeaways from that episode is, is how licensing really helped you uh, scale up. Now in the last year, You've been helping other other sellers, you know, like understand about the licensing opportunity, you know, without mentioning names or brands or anything like that, unless you, unless you can. Is there any stories other than your own that that you can share with us that might inspire more people that, hey, the, the licensing opportunity is still very viable here in 2020 and 2021? Well, uh, yeah, Bradley, I continue to get contacted by sellers who are interested in licensing. You know, we uh, have have some conversations with them. As you know, I have a um, a course out there at nextlevellicensing.net, kind of help people with it. But I've had probably three folks um, so far who have both inquired about it. I've kind of guided them along and um, directed them to the right resources who have actually been able to, you know, obtain licenses and put on their products. So some of them, some of them who I guarantee you know. <laughs> but it's been kind of fun to watch them, you know, take their like people I know are talking about our brands that, uh, I, that I know probably that people I know. and brands that, you know, cool. um, it's, it's not an easy task as I explain lots of times. Um, it's not easy or cheap, um, uh, but it's a great way to differentiate your brand. Now just refresh my memory. You, when you started your headphone brand, it was without licensing at first. Just, was it just like a generic, uh, you know, your own private label brand? Yeah, we started with very much of a private label formula, find a product out there, make a modification on it, use your label. And that was in the sleep headphones category. So I was doing mm -hmm. an adult sleep headphones. But what we did that was really unique is I took a spin off of that and I said, hey, wouldn't it be cool to make this for kids? And we made that kind of a fleece headband headphone into a kid's headphones, called it Cozy Phones, and put a character on the front of it. So, you know, through kind of the the Amazon formula, find something and then innovate around it, we created this whole new category of headphones that never existed before. 
would it be safe to say that you would not have reached the the success you have now if you hadn't if you just kept going with your own private brand but the licensing really helped you scale yeah the the licenses you know we've got licenses with nickelodeon now batman sesame street those things just add this tremendous amount of credibility to you opens up a whole new world of keywords you know i could go on and on about the benefits and so that really did help in a, in a big way Quick break in the action for my BTS. What does that stand for? Maybe it stands for Bradley's 30 seconds or behind the scenes or bona fide terrific strategies, whatever you want to to be about. But anyways, this one is going to be about uh, product research. And so if you're on Amazon and you're looking into estimating sales for a listing that has variations, you know, that's something that has like colors or sizes, Amazon gives the same BSR, bestseller rank for all child items. So there's no real way to know how much each one is selling. But if you want to see which one potentially it has the most sales, like which color, which size, or which variation, you can run Review Insights by Helium 10 in the Chrome extension and then see which one has the most reviews. Usually something dominates the reviews, like has like 50 or 75% of the reviews, one of the variations, and you can kind of bank on that being the big seller. So if you guys want to use that even for free, just go to h10.me forward slash extension and use review insights. Kellyanne, in retrospect, I'm assuming, you know, for, for your, for your water bottle, you didn't do licensing. Would, would, you know, if you had it to do over again, would you have maybe, you know, seen about possibly, you know, you know, hooking up with some brand in order to, uh, to, to add some more of that credibility that, that Paul was talking about? Absolutely. And in fact, you know, Paul, with his success with licensing, he introduced me to it. And I went to um, the licensing expo in Vegas with him. When was that, Paul? Was it in 2017? I'm going to say 17. Yeah. And so that really opened my eyes to all of the opportunities within licensing. And I actually did end up, it wasn't a traditional type of a license uh, situation, but I ended up doing something with Kathy Ireland and uh, did a lot where basically I was able to use her name and leverage that. And all, you know, she's a billionaire uh, product mm -hmm. builder and former model, if people don't know who she is. And um, so that was awesome. And I never would have had that opportunity had it not been for Paul introducing me to licensing. But I definitely learned a lot about it. And if I had had more time in my runway to flesh that out and to build those relationships, I definitely would have taken advantage of it. Cool. Now, th this is just a very general question. I'm not sure if you guys have the answer, but but the thing to me that has boggled my mind in, in the last, I don't know, year and a half or so is, is how just it seems like out of nowhere, it is now huge business to be buying Amazon businesses, you know, which is kind of what you're talking about. I, I remember the very first time I heard about it. I, it was actually the very night that I met Tim Jordan in person. And I didn't even know who he was at the time, but he was throwing a party in, in Bourbon Street. I remember, you know, I was just, that was my first kind of like networking party I did. And, and I was just there and somebody was like, oh yeah, you know, my business is planning to, to, to buy, you know, 30, 40 businesses over the next year. I was like, wow, that's just like, I had never heard of this. This is about two and a half, three years ago. I'm like, I had never heard of that. That's pretty weird. And now all of a sudden, it's like all the rage. We've got Thrasio, the fastest American company to get a valuation of a billion dollars, and their entire business model is buying 
Amazon businesses. We had Perch here on the podcast a while back. You guys have a podcast dedicated to this whole concept itself. <laughs> what what happened? Like, what? how did this, has this always been happening behind the scenes and just maybe it wasn't mainstream or like what is with this big rush in the last two years of this business model? I know, it's crazy, right? Well, a, a massive opportunity exists to sell your Amazon business for a huge profit. And obviously Thrasio was one of the, or was the first big aggregator to come on the scene. And as we all know, valued at $1 billion buying up Amazon businesses, but now they've got competition. There are a lot of other aggregators, acquirers on the scene because these businesses have real value. And just a few short years ago, Bradley, they just having an Amazon-based business did not have a value in the marketplace. So a whole industry has spawned just like it did when selling on Amazon became popular back in 2013. You know, a whole industry, the Helium 10s of the world spawned SaaS and, and different service providers. Well, now that same type of uh, momentum is gaining traction in the acquiring Amazon business space. Excellent. Excellent. Now, what was your process like, Kellyanne? So, so you 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 kind of beat Paul here to to the finish line. <laughs> so, what can can you? I mean, obviously, well again, that would take another two hour episode. But but can you give us the cliff notes on on from like the time you decided to do it and and how long the whole process took and and some something you would do differently, something that worked out swimmingly, whatever whatever you want to talk about. Sure. Well, and I would have to say that now, as opposed to just even a year or two ago, there's so many more resources for sellers, including the Amazing Exits podcast, selfish plug, um, to learn about how, you know what you need to do to get ready to sell your business. And I am of the firm belief that all Amazon entrepreneurs, all business owners should have an exit strategy. Whether or not you ever decide to sell your business by having an exit strategy and primarily knowing your numbers, knowing what your business is worth at all times is super, super important. It's probably one of your biggest assets. It could be maybe your biggest asset. And if you don't know the value of that, um, you're, you're just not operating business and you're not operating your life in an in a optimized way. So I just wanted to say that first. But I would say that I spent probably a good year just trying to learn how businesses in this space are valued because even just a couple short years ago, things were still really not um, solidified and there wasn't a lot of educational resources out there, at least in a cohesive manner. And there still aren't. And so that's why Paul and I started the podcast. And I, I knew that I needed to focus on my bottom line for the first few years in business. I was so much focused, like most business owners are, on top line growth, which is fine. And that's necessary in order to prove that you have traction in the marketplace. But at the end of the day, the money that goes into your bank account isn't your revenue, it's your profit. And anybody that's going to come along and buy your business, they're just buying a future revenue stream. They're investing in a, a revenue stream. That's all it is. And if you can't prove that you have sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow to a buyer, then you're not going to have any chance to ever sell your business. So I, I really want to get the word out to sellers that you know, focusing on the top line and that vanity metric does you no good when it comes time to sell your business. And most Amazon entrepreneurs were taught how to grow businesses and how to run businesses. We're not taught how to sell businesses. So I really focused on that bottom line. That was really important. And getting a good um, bookkeeping system in place. I had had a local bookkeeper doing my books prior to uh, getting ready to sell, and she just wasn't cutting it. She didn't know e-commerce. She was doing everything on cash accounting. So I hired a really good bookkeeper who knew e-commerce, who um, switched everything over to the accrual method of accounting, which is very important in e-commerce businesses. 
And I also started to look at what were the different types of options for selling my business in terms of who I would use to help represent me and also what types of buyers were out there. And there were a lot of different types. And so I investigated all of that. I ended up deciding on hiring a M&A advisor or an investment banking firm to represent me as the intermediary to sell my business. And they did a phenomenal job and they're not the best fit for everybody. Um, there are a lot of other options, but that's who I chose. And it uh, it couldn't have gone better. I mean, the process for me was a little bit elongated because the buyer and his partners were using SBA financing. And unfortunately, the, the um, lender who they were working with had never done an e-commerce deal before. So they didn't know what the hell they were doing. So it elongated the process. But from, from listing my business to close, it was about eight months and the sale closed in February of this year. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations on that. Now, do you still find yourself checking out your, your product at all? Like oh seeing how God. it's doing, looking at its BSR yes, and stuff? I keep in, I keep in close contact with <laughs> the gentleman who purchased my business and he actually just updated the website and he changed around a lot of things, which, you know, was kind of, you know, um, kudos to him because he's grown the business since taking it over. So he's doing a phenomenal job, but it, I still look at that thing as my baby. I'm not kidding. It's, it's, it's so much of your identity is tied up in, in building these brands, but at the end of the day, it's an asset and the asset you can choose to live off the cash flow, or you can choose to get all that cash flow, um, liquidated into your bank account and have financial independence, which is what I chose to do. Now you, you guys have talked to and, and, you know, gone through the process yourself. You know, some people might be listening. Oh, well, well, yeah. You know, Kellyanne was a high seven figure seller and, and you probably have to be a seven or eight figure seller to, to sell your brand. And of course, you know, if you are that kind of a seller and you're, you're profitable, I'm sure there are these companies who, who would love to look at it, but, but on the low end of the spectrum, you know, what, what would you say would be the minimum kind of it, or is there a minimum kind of you know, yearly revenue that somebody needs to be making before they can even consider getting approached by one of these firms? Yeah, I, I know this space very well now, and I do consulting for um, one of the aggregators. And generally, and I'm just going to give you some general numbers. I mean, they're looking for top line revenue in the area of about 500000 a year, because at least that's proof of concept that, you know, something has gained traction and a 20% profit margin. So that's kind of like the minimum. Um, now, that's not to say that there's not a market for everything in between. I mean, so maybe this is a good time to kind of go over some of the different ways that you can sell your business. So you can use a business broker. Sure. So there's lots of them out there, like Quiet Light Brokerage is a really good one. There are M&A advisors, like the one that I used, Global Wired Advisors. There are also website marketplaces where you can list your business and kind of sell it yourself, uh, places like Empire Flippers um, and Flippa. And, um, on some of those marketplaces are where you'll find kind of some, you'll find, uh, very expensive businesses, but you'll also find kind of on the lower end there. So, you know, generally these aggregators, if we want to talk about them, you know, they're looking for something with proven, proven history with not only past growth, but future growth opportunities and, um, something that can be possibly expanded off of Amazon as well. That doesn't mean that you're the one that needs to have expanded it off of Amazon. In fact, most of the aggregators are looking for most of the re revenue being generated on Amazon itself. Um, so I, I don't want anybody to take those numbers as gospel because, you know, if, if you have something of value and if you know the value and can articulate that to 
a future buyer, you can sell your business. But definitely you want to have a very healthy bottom line. So I don't care what your top line is, you know, hopefully your bottom line is at least 20% or higher. Okay. So like, let's just give a hypothetical situation. Obviously every single case is different depending on what who they're using and, and what kind of products category, I'm sure. But uh, let's just say somebody has, you know, $500,000 top line revenue yearly, and, and they, they, they've hit that 20% uh, uh, profit margins. What are, is the ballpark that they're looking for? Or what should they be shooting for getting uh, from a company interested in buying them? Well, it depends on who you speak to again, as far as who's purchasing your business. If it is a financial acquisition, meaning that, and generally anything below a $10 million enterprise value is going to be considered a financial transaction where it really is looking at your trailing 12 months EBITDA or net profit and applying a multiple to that. The multiples that we've been seeing in the Amazon industry over the past couple years are in the two to four range. And there's multiple things that can affect that actual multiple. And it's all has to do with risk. It all has to do, the, the more risk there is in the business, the lower the multiple. Okay. So can you break that? There, there are some, some, some terms in there that, you know, I, I, I know if I've dealt with EBITDA and stuff like that before, but then when you say stuff like two and four and, and EBITDA, can you, can you break, uh, can you give us the, uh, know, a purchasing for dummies version of that. <laughs> so yeah, just to start right. those yellow books, that's what they were called, all those yellow books. I used to always remember I would buy those yellow books for, for when I tried to learn Microsoft Excel or something like that's that. That's what we should do, Paul, is create a book, Selling Your Amazon Business for Dummies. That, oh, that's... there you go. <laughs> so Actually, just, uh, let me ahead, tee Paul. it up and then I'm going to pass back to Kelly. So in your example, to break it down into just numbers, you said 500000 with a 20% profitability, is that right? Yes. So someone, yep. let's just use $100,000 for the net profit or the EBITDA, although it could be a little bit different. So take it from there, Kelly. What could somebody get for a business uh, that's got a $100,000 net profit? So again, typical, typical multiples for this type of financial acquisition would be anywhere of a two-time multiplier of that bottom line net profit. So two times 100,000, which would be 200,000 up to a four time multiple. So four times the net profit, four times 100,000 is 400,000. So two to $400,000. Okay. That's perfect. I, I think that everybody can, can understand that. Now, the people that you've worked with who have done that, uh, or even you yourself, uh, Kelly, w w what's the next step? I mean, how many people do you know, do they just take that money and now they're like, okay, let, let's start from 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 scratch again. Or, no, you know what? Uh, I'm just happy with this money. I'm just going to, you know, sit on it and and live in the Maldives or, or something yeah. like that. What, what do people do after selling? Uh, other than start a podcast with their good buddy Paul, what, what do they do? You know what? It it really all depends on your life's mission and life goals. And you know, for me, I personally am huge on building wealth and building legacy wealth. And this is just my first stepping stone into that. I, I truly believe that building a business and then selling it is one of the fastest ways to achieve wealth. Because think about it: if you're earning a twenty percent bottom line on an Amazon business, you know, where else can you invest your time and money and earn 20%, right? That's the opportunity cost you have to look at. So the way that I can earn 20% is I could start another business, but then I can invest, you know, my profits or my windfall after selling into a more passive vehicle, um, like real estate. 
Um, and, and that's something that I really love talking with uh, sellers who are you know going to sell their business, telling them how they can build wealth beyond this and all the tax planning that goes into it, even though I'm not you know a tax attorney or tax accountant. There's just so many different ways that you can really use this to catapult your future. And what I like to call it is achieving financial independence. I mean, if you're if you're talking about an eight or nine figure high eight figure exit, you know, yeah, maybe that's true financial freedom. But I don't know many entrepreneurs that just want to stop working and stop doing stuff and creating. They always want to are on to the next thing. And so being able to have that peace of mind and that financial security of having that money in the bank, so to speak, allows you, it frees up your bandwidth and your time and your creativity to go in and do do it again or do something else. So you, really the possibilities are endless. Paul, anything to uh, add to that? Yeah, your I, I do. So it really uh, comes out, you know, you, we start with kind of the end in mind. And what we're trying to help people think about is what do you want to get out of your business? Is it the total financial freedom? Is it the financial independent? Is it just de-risking? Because let's face it, you know, when you got big Amazon loans out there and you're worried about Amazon shutting down your account, do you just want to de-risk your life somewhat and have two or three hundred thousand dollars in the bank so they can really blow up your next product? So it really comes down to what you want. And now I'm going to selfishly pitch something. We created something we call the Freedom Score on the Amazing X's website. And it's just a, a baseline for somebody to go in and you know put in some of their goals for what they want to get out of their business, kind of what their level is at, and to identify the opportunity areas that they have to work on uh, in order to get their business you know ready for sale. Now, I'm, I'm sure... Um, you know, the basics of, of Amazon apply to somebody who who does want to have an exit in the future. Hey, you know, obviously you got to be profitable, have a, a good quality product that has good reviews and, and, you know, you, you've got you know, a good PPC strategy, et cetera. I mean, that, 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 those kind of things go for anybody who wants any kind of success on Amazon, whether they're going to have their brand for the rest of their life or they're trying to get out of the, or, or to sell the brand. Now, what I'm curious about is what about, you know, some of the extra things that can help grow a brand? You know, on one side, you know, somebody might might think or I might think that, man, if I have some amazing off Amazon uh, strategy, like uh, amazing face, you know, social media, I grew Instagram really big. I have a big YouTube channel for my account and huge following, you know, like some people might think, oh, this is like really really good because, uh, you know, not this differentiates yourself from other Amazon sellers. However, what if, you know, does that now all of a sudden they'll limit who might be interested in your brand because maybe some of these companies who buy these Amazon brands don't have the infrastructure to manage a whole social media team or something. So so can you talk about that a little bit? Like, is there, are, are there things you should and should not do that, that help you be, become more attractive to these uh, purchasers? Paul, do you want to take that or me? Sure. I, I think the answer, Bradley, is it really depends on the buyer to what we call an aggregator. Uh, and I'm going to take a risk at, you know, say a Thrasio or somebody whose business model is just to buy an Amazon brand and grow it on Amazon. Those things, and they've got a model and, a, and what they call an investment thesis, what they're going to do with that. Those um, extra assets that you may be created, a great Amazon or a great uh, social media list, for example, that's um, just, you know, topping on the cake for them 
but really they're at the end of the day they're going to value your business on the Amazon metrics and that's why they like this because they understand the Amazon metrics they're not going to buy an off Amazon business that they really don't understand they know what they can do if they understand your sales your advertising and your cost of goods they know what they can do with your business um, now for somebody else another type of buyer maybe someone who's but like Kellyanne's business or someone who is even a strategic buyer, those social media lists and those email lists is going to mean a lot more to them if they have a skill set of marketing off Amazon. So um, it really, okay. again, it depends on the buyer whether or not the buyer finds value in those other things. But to you as the seller, there's risk to you in building those things, just like Kellyanne mentioned earlier all the time and effort she spent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. building off Amazon. Same thing with me when, you know, talking about one of the mistakes that I made earlier was going too wide, too fast, spending lots of money on Facebook, lots of money on Shopify, trying to go into Europe really fast and diluting my, myself across many channels where I would have been better off, you know, focusing on that golden goose. So, so then speaking of the, the golden goose, which I would assume is Amazon USA, have you ever heard of, of companies buying businesses that are exclusively on Amazon Europe or every single one at least has a, a foundation in the USA and then maybe it, it sells in Europe as well, but, but there's none that are sold only in Japan or, or only in Europe? That's a really good question. I think it, it depends on the enterprise value of the business. So if the selling price of a business is anywhere 5 million and below, then your widest pool of potential buyers is going to be those using SBA financing. And SBA financing is only available for US-based companies. Um, it's, it's something very special mm. and unique to the United States. No other country has that type of financing. So um, it really depends on the value. Now, I would say that most businesses that are selling in with the types of like aggregators that we've spoken with definitely have their foundation on Amazon us. That doesn't mean that they don't have some component elsewhere, but certainly the, the majority or at least a good portion of the sales are being done on Amazon us. Okay. All right. Now I, I would love to, to keep going here. I can't believe we've already been at it over for 40 minutes. This is great. Now you guys have been giving us, you know, tips and strategies uh, about a lot of these things throughout this episode, but we come to the part of the show we call that or the TST 30 second tip. So we've actually got two of you today. So we're going to have two 30 second tips for the price of one. So let's start with Kellyanne. What is something that you haven't talked about that very valuable, actionable that you can say in uh 30 seconds or less for our listeners. It doesn't have to be about exits, but by all means, it could be. Well, I'm going to make it about <clears throat> exits. I think if you really want to simplify it into its most basic form, in order to sell an Amazon business for maximum value, you have to create a brand and be able to source and sell a high volume of profitable products. And your business needs to have healthy profit margins and ROI. I think uh, that kind of sums up everything you need to do as an Amazon brand builder to sell your business for a big payday. Excellent. Paul, pass the baton to okay, you. Okay, I'm going to give you a $30,000 tip on how to increase the value of your business by $30,000. $1,000 a second. $30,000. <laughs> Take a look at your business and your spending and find out how you can convert $1,000 a month from expenses into profits. If you can do that, 
uh, by eliminating some unnecessary subscriptions. Of course, Helium 10 is not on that list. But uh, <laughs> I love it. Unnecessary stuff in your business. And by doing that, in a year, you can create $12,000 worth of additional profit or EBITDA at a three times multiple. That's $36,000 you created by just eliminating $1,000 a month in expense. Wow. I like it. That was great, Paul. Now, guys, you, you've been uh, uh, subtly plugging your, your your things throughout the episode, but but it, was, it wasn't so it, it wasn't so, uh, <laughs> uh, so such an overstep. So I, I'll, I'll allow it. But uh, let's be upfront now. H- how can we find you your your podcast out there? How can we find your website, the one that you referred to about how they can start? You know, maybe maybe seeing if this is something that they're interested in. How can they find you guys on the interwebs? Awesome. They can go to amazingexits.com. That's our website, and that's where you can take your freedom score. And then we have the Amazing Exits podcast, which is on all the major podcast apps. And I would urge people to please subscribe and leave a rating after you've listened to an episode or two and tell us what you think. Excellent. Excellent. So, so Paul, this is your second time uh, on the podcast and, and we try and keep, uh, bring people back uh, once a year. So we'd love to have you be one of the first to be on here three, uh, three times, uh, next year in 2021. And especially to see if, how, how you've progressed or, or if you've already, uh, sold the, your brand, if you've already exited and, and Kellyanne, who knows, maybe you're going to get the itch again and, and hop back in with a, with a, a fusion Tupperware <laughs> or something like that next. So I've uh, got my eye. we'd love to hear from you next to buy year. A brand, new brand myself. And, uh, so I'm definitely got my eyes open. I'm itching to start a new one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show and we'll talk to you next year. Thank you, Bradley. Bradley.